This is Rick Thomas. You are listening to Your Daily Drive. Thank you so much for joining me for the podcast that puts our article content in audio format so that you can listen to the uh, listen on the go. For all of you who are going to work today, this morning, coming back from work this afternoon, for all of you who are vacuuming your floors and doing other things running on the beach, well, thank you for listening to the podcast. Let us know how we can serve you. It would be our privilege to do so. Today, I want to talk about this idea of losing your salvation. When my daughter was 11 years old, she asked, Daddy, if you do something wrong, are you still a Christian It was one of those, can you lose your salvation questions. This is a question that probably virtually every Christian has worked through, wrestled through at some point in their journey with God. This is an insecure question, and because of our finite minds and because of how we relate to each other on a horizontal level, sometimes it can be difficult to understand how you can be born into the family of God and never lose it and and your behavior Uh, And I'm not justifying that you do anything heinous or anything wicked or sinful, but we do sin, and it's hard for insecure people to think about a relationship that would love us by the grace of God freely because of the works of another person. And when a child comes to salvation, they too struggle with this idea because they only have conditional relationships on the horizontal how they relate to everybody else in their world. And so it is a a natural question to ask, can I lose this thing called salvation? As I look at my life, as I look in the mirror and realize that I'm not a perfect person, I make mistakes, will God kick me out? Will I be unborn again? Critical question on two fronts. One, you have to be settled with this idea. Then also you want to be able to help others because more than likely you know someone, whether they have said it or not, you probably know someone who is struggling with this type of insecurity, and so we want to nail this down. Now, if you want to talk about this, I would encourage you, let's talk. Jump on our forums, ask your questions. In this podcast, I have the podcast is written out. There's over 2,000 words here that you can read slowly at your own pace, in your own time, and you can stop and just process, and you can make notes, and you can look up the scripture references that are in this article. I have two infographics as well. I have some embedded articles also. Now, this one infographic I'm going to walk through because when I uh, answered, when I finally got around to answering this question for my daughter, I drew out the concepts that I wanted her to understand on my iPad, and then I took that sketch and turned it into an infographic, and we have over a hundred and something infographics on our website, and all of them, every single one of them, came from conversations just like this. Most of them were with counselees that I've met over the past a couple of decades, and I would take those conversations and turn them into graphics, or at least part of our conversation into graphics, because a picture is worth a thousand words, and sometimes our words can be so porous in that they they just fall through our minds and we don't retain them because there's a lot of words that we can share with a concept like this. And so if you can sketch it out and allow a person to visually look at it at the moment that you're talking, but also take it home and look at it a day, week, 
a year later. In this case, it's been several years later, and we still have this infographic, and it's fantastic. And so she asked me the question, if I do something wrong, are you still a Christian? Well, when she asked me, the day that she asked me, there were a lot of things that were going on in our lives, and so it wasn't a convenient time to stop the world from spinning and to sit down for about an hour and talk about this critical truth. She needed more than that. And so I, I, I didn't, she needed more than just a quick answer. She needed that kind of dedicated time, but we couldn't do it because of our pace of life at the moment that she was asking the question. And as a parent, you have had many of those moments with your children that they do something or say something or ask something. And it's like now, Really? Seriously? Now, I wasn't thinking that with her. Now, really? Seriously? I was actually glad she was asking the question, and I just didn't want to dismiss it. Now, what I said at the moment, I said, no, you can't lose your salvation, and I left it at that. But I did take a mental note, and I told her that we'll talk about this at another time. We'll have a future conversation where it's not so hectic and we'll have a non-distracting time to where we could really delve into this because this is a rich theological excursion that you want to take with your children or anybody else that's asking you this question. And for us, my daughter, I knew that we had our monthly day out with daddy coming up soon, and that would be a better time to dive into this critical subject. And that's what we did. And so when that day arrived, we went out, Uh, to a restaurant, and back in the day, they would always pick the restaurant that they would go to. And when they, because they were young, they wouldn't pick like the most expensive restaurant in town. And so it seemed kind of generous on my part to let them choose, but they always chose some kind of fast food joint. And so it was inexpensive. I think if I were to ask them now, hey, let's go out and eat, they may choose something that's more expensive. And so we went to a cheap, restaurant somewhere. I think we had pizza actually on this day. And I took my iPad with me because I was going to sketch out what I wanted to communicate to her so that she could uh, visually see the truth, as I was talking about a while ago. And I wanted to encourage her to work through these big truths. And I, I was encouraged that she would let me in on what she was thinking. She allowed me basically to pull up a chair and look through the window of her mind and see what was going on. I could spectate, but more than spectate, I, I can actually engage her on the playing field of her mind and help her work through this process. And it was really fantastic that she would ask me that question. As I thought about it also, I was thinking that she's she's about 20 years ahead of me When I began wrestling through these doctrines, I was in my early 30s, and here she was as an 11-year-old kid asking these great truths that we need to nail down. And my prayer is that the Lord will settle her mind about these essential Christian tenets and that she will have a secure life with the Lord. And this is one of the most foundational truths that she has to get. And so we took the time. I pulled out my iPad. And what I did is I divided the iPad into four quadrants. I drew a line across the middle of the page, left to right. And then I drew a line down the middle of the page, north to south. And I divided up four quadrants. And then each one I drew a picture. In the top left-hand quadrant, I talked about being born as a human. 
her first birth. And then in the top right-hand side, I talked about how we grow and mature. And so the top left-hand side, when she was born the first time, that's the idea of regeneration, justification, these one-and-done things that happen to us. And then on the right side, it's about sanctification, growing, maturing, obedience, holiness, and those types of things. And so we started talking about the human aspect first on the top left and right, and then later I dropped down and I, I made the parallel, and I talked about what it means to be born a second time. Regeneration would be the bottom left hand, uh, justification, adoption, those are the big one-and-done deals that happen. And then on the bottom right, we're talking about growing in sanctification. And so on the top half is where we started. And I talked to her about being born the first time. Now, she understood it. This was easy for her to understand because she could pinch herself and know that she's a human. She has a brother and a sister, and she knows that they were born one time, one and done. That was it. That's all that you need and at your birth, at your human birth, you are fully human. You have everything that you need to be a human being. Now, you're not mature. You're not a big human. You're not able to do much, but you have everything that you need. Now, on the top right, of course, you're going to grow and mature and become a bigger human, a more competent human. But the big idea that I wanted her to see on the top left is that you're born one time and you have everything that you need. And then the top right, now you begin to grow. Of course, by that time, she was 11 years old and she's much bigger than what she was when she was born the, as a human. And she's more capable, more competent, more articulate. And she's been growing but she hasn't gained any more humanness. She has just matured as a human. Now, the other thing that I wanted her to see about being a human being is that she has parents and that her relationship with her parents is unalterable, that you have one set of parents. You didn't earn these parents. These are the ones that you got, and you can't alter the relationship as in you can't sever your relationship with your parents. You can be a good child, you can be a bad child, but we will always be your parent regardless. Now you can see the running analogy here. You can be a good Christian or a bad Christian. I'm not condoning sinning, but the truth is is that we're not perfect and we make mistakes. And that is why she was asking this question. Again, the question that she asked me, Daddy, if you do something wrong, are you still a Christian? And that's why I wanted her to know that if she does something wrong as a human, as my child, will she still be my child? Well, of course she would. Now, this is a great way. And I didn't make this up, and I'm, I'm sure you've heard this illustration at least a half a dozen times. But it's important that you understand this illustration so that when you move from the physical human world to the spiritual world, you can run this parallel analogy and it will make sense to them and they will be able to understand it. Now, my daughter understood the concept and I did linger extra long in this in-depth conversation with her because I knew 
that I wanted her to understand what it's like to have an unalterable relationship with her dad because I knew that would be worldview shaping. And then I wanted her to make this connection with her heavenly father because it would be foundational for how she would live the rest of her life. And I wanted to make sure that she could make a clear distinction between justification and sanctification. Justification is when God justifies you and you become a Christian. Sanctification is your responsibility to cooperate with God and to mature as a human, but that doesn't change the fact that you were born again, that you were justified. I have counseled many people who have had a hard time with these two concepts of justification and sanctification. It's not unusual for a person to have a skewed view of God based on an unclear understanding of their position in Christ and their identity in Christ. My friend Mabel was like this. Because she had a conditional relationship with her father, it was hard for her to believe God the Father would love her. She lived in this I-must-please-God-at-all-times attitude. And that's one of the ways that we get messed up in our thinking about how we relate to God the Father because of how we relate to those in our human world. Because, quite frankly, many relationships are conditional. I will love you as long as you meet all my expectations. And then we begin to map that experience over our relationship with God, and then we have a, a poor theology. Now, I have an article linked here about fathers are a powerful picture of God the Father. I put this article here because of my friend Mabel, because she lived with this I must please God at all times attitude, because that is how she related to her father. Her father was a brute of a man. She learned as a youngster to perform for him. She always felt she was walking on eggshells. And even though he had been dead for many years, she could still hear him, I put that in quotation marks, still hear him yelling at her. And I have talked to many people in a counseling context with parents that were like Mabel's father. And even though the parents either are no longer on this earth or no longer in relationship with the child, there's still this residual gripping impact that that shaping influence had on this child. And even though there's geographical distance or the parent is no longer living, as Mabel said, I can still hear him yelling at me. When she was a child, it hardly mattered what she did. It was never right. It took her a long time to figure out how it didn't matter what she did because he didn't need a reason to yell at her. It was what he did to her. And even if she met all of his expectations, he would unleash his fury on her if he felt like it. And so her fear-based home not only ran her into the arms of a young man looking for love, hungry for somebody to approve her, but it profoundly affected how she thought about God the Father. She said as, as she was shaking her head, how can God love someone like me? From her perspective, it was unbelievable to think God would love her based 
on the performance of someone else. I'm talking about Christ. How can God love me, not based on my performance, not based on my works, but based on the works of Christ? And though she did what you're supposed to do to become a Christian, she had a hard time living in the freedom of God's salvation while not able to live a perfect life as a Christian. And that is the juxtaposition, that, that is the tension when we juxtapose those two ideas, living in the freedom of God's salvation while not able to live a perfect life as a Christian. None of us can live a perfect life of a Christian, and that is why my daughter was asking the question, am I still a Christian even if I make mistakes? And so the picture that I sketched for my daughter not only helped her, but it helped Mabel too. Imagine being a fallen human being, but not permitted to make mistakes. That's basically the life that Mabel was forced to live, even though she couldn't live that life. I'm a fallen person. I'm an imperfect person, but I have to be perfect. I can't make mistakes because I'm going to get yelled at. Imagine having a father like Mabel's who would not only allow her to make it, who would not allow her to make a mistake. Imagine living your life as a people pleaser. And one of the people that you wanted to please the most was God. And that's what happened with Mabel as she translated her relationship with her earthly father to her heavenly father. And she basically viewed both of them as the same because she was shaped that way, even though God the Father was nothing like her human father. Now, once my daughter and I talked through the top half of the sketch, being born one time as a human and then moving over to the right, growing and maturing and becoming a bigger, better, more competent human, we moved to the bottom half. Now, on the bottom half, the bottom left-hand side, what I did is I inserted three different words for the concept of being born again. I wanted to work this idea in her mind. She already knew what the word justified meant because we had talked through the word justified a number of years ago when she was younger. And as a review, I asked her to define it for me. She said, justification, she says, it means Christ took my sin and I received his righteousness. And then I asked her, I said, what else does it mean? And then I inserted, remember the courtroom? And that was a key word for her because that's how we talked about it years ago. And she said, oh yeah, it means not guilty. The word justification means not guilty. Not guilty were the words that I was looking for because those two words are the most precise way to think about the idea of justification. Justification is a forensic or legal term. That's why I said to her, remember the courtroom? Because I was using a courtroom analogy. The judge slams his gavel down and says, not guilty, you're justified. I'm taking all of your crimes and I'm placing them on another person. And that's why I asked, remember the courtroom, it clicked with her, which is why she quickly replied with not guilty, because she got it. She understood the word justification. Now, from there, I talked to her about adoption, which she had previously learned from other conversations. This concept conveys the idea of a family. And so when you're born again, you are justified, not guilty. 
You are born again. You are regenerated. You are adopted. All of these words are different, but yet they communicate the idea, uh, uh, the similar idea being brought into the family of God. And the word adoption really uh, clearly does that. Now, what I was doing, and I, w- I was being redundant, and I think it's important to be appropriately redundant in your teaching style. Because you want to make sure that people have complete clarity in what you are talking about. Jesus was this way. If you've read many of my articles, you've noticed that I have used the text, Luke 6, 43 and 45, often. I've used it so many times in so many of my writings. And one of the reasons that I love this text is because of the redundancy that are in those three verses, Luke 6, 43, 44, and 45. And if you read those verses, you'll notice that Jesus says the same thing six times. He's teaching his disciples the connection between the heart and the behavior, and he says the same thing in six different ways. If the truth is critical, you must be careful as you teach it, and there is no truth more important than the gospel. And so I wanted to slow down to make sure that my daughter understood this idea of being born again, and so I used this redundant method of teaching. I talked about justified, adoption, regeneration. Justified talks about being declared not guilty. Adoption talks about being brought into the family of God. Regeneration talks about the act of being born from above. All three of those words are in the bottom left-hand quadrant of the sketch that I was making for her. Nobody goes into back into the courtroom so the judge can declare them not guilty a second or third time. You don't go back to the adoption agency to be readopted by the same parents and you cannot be born again twice. Now, she began to understand that. Just like being born as a human, you do it once, it's one and done, it's not a repeatable act. And then you're born a second time, whether it's justification, adoption, regeneration. It's one one and done. It's not a repeatable act. And so from there, we move to the bottom right-hand side of the picture, and we talk similarly to how we discuss the top right-hand side of the sketch. At this point, we got to my daughter's original question. She asked, if you do something wrong, Are you still a Christian? What do you believe about losing your salvation? When you do something wrong, are you still a Christian? Assuming you were a Christian when you did something wrong. Now be careful not to answer the question too fast. I think most people would say to the question, if you do something wrong, are you still a Christian? Most people would say yes to that question, and that would be correct. But there are two ways to answer this question. You could answer the question as though you were taking a theological exam. Let's say that you're taking a Theology 101 exam, and the question is, if you did something wrong, are you still a Christian? Of course you are. You check the box, yes. But there's another way to answer the question. You could answer the question according to how you think after you sin. Now work with me here. 
Sometimes we automatically default to giving the right theological answer to questions like this, even though when we sin, we struggle with applying what we know from the exam to our hearts. Knowing the gospel and living powerfully in the gospel are two different things. I'm not asking you this question when you do something wrong. Are you still a a Christian? I'm not asking you this question as though you are taking an exam. You may quickly say, yes, of course you are. I am asking you this question according to how you think about your relationship with God after you sin as a Christian and you are forgiven. Because there will be some people, there will be many people actually who are listening to this podcast and they will say on the theology exam, yes, you are a Christian, but they don't live that way when they sin. It's important. How would you answer it now? Do you live in the freedom and the power that the gospel offers you? Do you really, 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 really believe there is nothing that can separate you from? the love of God. The gospel makes you free, and I wanted my daughter to get this truth that nothing will separate you from the love of God. I didn't want her to just learn a a theological tenet. I wanted her to learn it and for it to be practically real in her life, especially when she sins, because that is when she was asking the question. Now, there were two reasons that I wanted her to get this truth. Number one, I wanted her to live in the freedom and the power of the gospel. I wanted her to be free in God, not with a license to sin, but with a grateful heart that God's mercy has stunned, which motivates her to live righteously. And number two, I wanted her to realize how every Christian is on their unique journey struggling along the way, and she needs to guard her heart against uncharitably judging those who are growing and maturing differently from her. Being a three-year-old human is different from being a 30-year-old human. My daughter is like me. She can be self-righteous. She can easily forget she did not earn her salvation, and she was not worthy of it. You can begin to think, like her daddy, how she is somebody apart from Christ. See, if you realize you didn't do anything to earn your salvation, it's hard to think you are somebody. It's hard for you to be self-righteous. It's hard for you to judge people. She was an undeserving sinner who was living under the wrath of God, but God, who is rich in mercy, made her alive in Christ, justified, adopted, born again. I don't want her to ever drift from the gospel. She did nothing to earn her salvation. She will not be able to unjustify, unadopt, or unregenerate herself. I pray to God that she will own these truths. If she does, she will always be grateful to God for his immeasurable gift to her, and she will be patient with other Christians who are seeking to grow and mature similarly to her. Now, that's why I said there were, there were two reasons that I wanted her to get this idea of, that I've been communicating to her. I wanted her to live in the freedom and the power of the gospel. I wanted her to be free in God, not with a license to sin, but with a grateful heart. 
And then I wanted her to realize how every Christian is on their unique journey, struggling along the way, and that she needs to guard her heart against uncharitably judging those who are growing and maturing differently from her. If she didn't do anything to earn it, then she can't be high-minded about what she has. Now, as we continue to dialogue, I have more follow-up questions for my daughter. Now, hopefully, I will be able to continue to cover these questions with her as we continue to talk about these ideas. And we have over the years, and God willing, we'll continue to have these discussions. And and quite honestly, the discussions become richer as she becomes older because she's maturing and she's getting better categories and concepts. And it's easier to talk about these things as she's older because she's, quite frankly, she, she's just smarter. But what I would hope, I want to share some questions with you quickly, and I would hope that this would be a good exercise for you to even write out your responses to the questions that that I interact with my daughter with. Here are the five questions. Number one, can you clearly articulate the difference between justification and sanctification? You must be able to do that. Number two, why is there a difference and why does it matter? A difference between justification and sanctification and why does it matter? Number three, can you lose your salvation? Follow-up question, why did you answer that way? And number four, how are you supposed to think about Christians who believe or behave differently from you? This is the self-righteousness question because sometimes we can, we can forget that we were all beggars before God and we didn't earn our salvation. Number five, when you think about God the Father, what comes to your mind? How do you relate to him? Are you secure in your relationship with him? The title of the podcast is Discussion with Daughter about Justification and Sanctification. If you have any questions about these rich theological truths, jump on our forums and ask. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net, rickthomas.net.